Reading from the book of Samuel. The king ordered Joab and Abishai and Atai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders concerning Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. The men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the slaughter there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest claimed more victims that day than the sword. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. His head caught fast in the oak, and he was left hanging between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And ten young men, Joab's armor-bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good tidings for my lord the king, for the Lord has vindicated you this day, delivering you from the power of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? The Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to do you harm be like that young man. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, my son Absalom. Would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. If you had told me five years ago that I'd be a summer intern, I would have told you that you were crazy. Don't get me wrong, I love this church. I love the people. I love the way it makes me think. I love the values it stands for. When it comes down to it, there's a lot of scripture that either doesn't make sense to me or just seems to defy science. And some other books of the Bible, mainly in the Old Testament, just don't seem relevant to modern life, especially to my life. I mean, one of Moses' commands in Exodus is, do not let a sorceress live. And I don't know about all of you, but I personally don't have a lot of contact with sorceresses in my daily life. So of course... When I was reading through the assigned scriptures in the lectionary in hopes of finding one to preach on, I skipped over Samuel and I skipped over the Old Testament. I'm not sure why I sometimes assume reading the Bible is like reading a novel, that I could just read the passage once and automatically connect with it. I didn't really realize the patience and time that is required to find myself in the story. But after not clicking with any of the other scripture options, I decided to give the Samuel passage a second look. When I reread it, it was surprisingly interesting and then, after looking up a little more of the backstory behind the passage, I found that it was surprisingly relatable, but not in the way I'd hoped. I discovered that the place I could see myself in the story wasn't in the patient love of David, but in the impatience of Absalom. Unfortunately, the guy I related to most in the scripture, Absalom, was the same guy who plotted murders, started an uprising against his own father, and later led 20,000 other men to their death, just because he couldn't wait his turn to be king. But in these three acts, I just see someone who was insecure, narcissistic, and really impatient. These are not only key character traits of some of our most powerful leaders, but three pretty common human qualities these days. I know I have experienced these feelings more than I'd care to admit. 
Last week, for example, my friends and I just gave up on a movie we were watching because it was loading too slow. This movie, which at least during Absalom's time would have been viewed as some sort of sorcery, was right at our fingertips, but we were not willing to take the five minutes to let it buffer. Sure, technology has developed over the last couple thousand years, but it seems like people really haven't changed. Absalom couldn't wait his turn to be king, and I couldn't wait for Black Panther to finish buffering. And although Absalom and my struggles weren't exactly of the same importance, they both stemmed from our lack of patience. And we all know being patient isn't easy. In fact, Absalom found his passion to be king so overwhelming that he started a rebellion against his own father. Our passions often do overwhelm our patience. We never want to be impatient, but often in our crazed pursuit of our dreams, we forget to give our passions the time they need to mature. In second grade, I remember going to a football sports camp that was run by a Christian organization. The last day of camp, they sat us all down and said, all right, anyone who wants to let Jesus into their lives, you know the words you need to pray. And I, being a very infrequent church-attending seven-year-old, had absolutely no idea what was going on and no idea what I was supposed to pray, so I just sat there very confused. But I saw that everyone else was bowing their heads and mumbling things, so naturally, I quickly started imitating them and pretending like I had some idea what was going on. And then it was over, and I remember thinking, well, I did it. Jesus is in my life now. And then I went home, and an hour or so later, I proceeded to play Wii Sports with my sister Abby. And I really wanted to be player one, because then I got to choose my team first for whatever baseball game we were playing. But I thought, wait, now that I've let Jesus into my life, I should let my sister be player one and let her pick first. <laughs> Basically, now that I'd let Jesus in, I had to be patient. Obviously, somewhere along the way, I'd picked up the idea that Jesus was this super patient guy I think seven-year-old me was pretty spot on. Although I'm sure Jesus' passion for spreading the word of God was essential in his ministry, he wouldn't have gotten anywhere if he hadn't been patient. Passion alone isn't enough for us to get what we want, and Jesus knew this. The Bible would be a very different story if the first time people doubted Jesus when he told them he was the Son of God, if he'd just been like, all right, I tried, this obviously isn't going to work, I'll go find something else to do. <laughs> Jesus stayed patient and kept spreading the word of God with passion. And somehow, that life of patience and passion brought the Word of God into being. It happened. I mean, you can just look around this morning, and the fact that we're all here talking about God is evidence enough that Jesus' patience paid off. And this interconnectedness between passion and patience that is reflected in the Bible makes sense, seeing that these two words stem from the same Latin root, pati, to suffer. And oftentimes, both our passion and our patience do lead us to suffering, hopefully to suffering that is meaningful and not meaningless. David surely suffered as he continued to tell his men to be patient with his son and spare his life, just as Absalom found his passion to be king so insufferable that he had to act on it. And we all know Jesus' patience and faith in God led to his own extreme suffering. But the story of Jesus' passion is also the story of God's patient love. Now, I'm not going to tell you all to be as patient as Jesus because, I mean, it's Jesus. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It never hurts to try and act a little bit more like Jesus. But for me, as a teenager living in an age of instantaneous communication, where attention spans keep shrinking, being as patient as Jesus seems pretty intimidating. But even so, I'm going to try. I'm going to keep listening more to David and a little less to Absalom. I'm going to try to believe in God's patient love.
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. A few months ago, 18-year-old Emma Gonzalez took to the nation to make a vocal stance regarding stricter gun regulation in the United States. After the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School February shooting in Parkland, Florida, in which we tragically lost 17 lives, Emma, an attending senior, used her voice to initiate action. For Emma, call led to voice, voice led to stance, stance led to a national platform, and led she did and continues to do. We held our breath as she stood silently in reflection. We watched and participated as she stood together with others in support. We witnessed as she created and delivered moving speeches, as she protested to spread awareness, and as she reached out to Congress in support of gun regulation. Immediately after the shooting, in the midst of immense tragedy, she stood to say our lives matter and that something needs to be done about gun violence and that enough is enough. Emma is a preacher of our generation, not because she spoke about God, but because she taught about a God of justice through her actions. She advocated for justice in a way that taught and encouraged others to get involved. Relentless and courageous, Emma Gonzalez is a prophetic voice who embodies the true meaning of what living and breathing scripture looks and acts like. And through her words and actions, Emma continuously shows us how we are all many members of one body. Our scripture today begins with Paul sitting in a Roman prison. Paul, the least likely, formerly known as Saul, attempting to do the right thing. Yet this time, instead of being a crucifier of justice, he's being an agent in justice, but finding himself in overwhelming amounts of bondage and disappointment. Now let us imagine ourselves in his position. Let us imagine being in that jail cell. Let us imagine being put in prison for trying to do the right thing. There we are, newly imprisoned, and probably feeling rejected broken down and at a loss for hope. We were just trying to spread the good word of God to all people who would listen and it just landed us in jail. 
I can only imagine Paul to be pretty upset, frustrated, and angry. Angry, perhaps, because doing the right thing does not always yield the initial results we hope to obtain. Perhaps Emma feels an anger that resembles Paul's. She has consistently been doing the right thing. Her speeches are being heard. Our congressmen are noting her presence, but nothing has changed. With the momentum the March for Our Lives campaign gained, many, including myself and potentially many of you, thought that immediate action would be taken in light of the widespread uprising. Yet here we are, almost six months after the Parkland shooting, and nothing has changed in our national legislation. I can only imagine Emma to be pretty upset, frustrated, and angry. Yet we see bravery in both Paul and Emma, in the ability to stand for justice and to stand for activism for the least likely at all cost. While Paul sits in that cell nonetheless, he chooses to use his time wisely, he chooses to be brave, he chooses to reflect, and he chooses to write one of the four epistles on becoming a compassionate member of a unified church. Emma chooses to take a stand in front of our country. She chooses to become an advocate for those who lack one. She chooses to be brave, and she chooses to become a leader that no other high school student such as myself and my peers could feel called to do. When we think about what Paul was going through when he was being imprisoned, we do not initially think of him rejoicing in the fact that he was sent to prison. We do not think he was thanking God for this opportunity to spend some time reflecting in a cold jail cell. And we definitely do not think he was considering blessed and holy to see the people in his country continue not acting out of compassion as those of one body should. We imagine it to be upsetting, frustrating, and even blatantly disappointing. When we think about how Emma feels after trying her absolute best to be an agent of change, we do not think she is rejoicing in the fact that nothing has changed. We do not think she was thanking God for this opportunity to get pushed out of congressmen's offices, and we definitely do not think she is considering it blessed and holy for this country to continue not acting out of compassion as those of one body should. We imagine it to be upsetting, frustrating, and even blatantly disappointing. The first half of the letter to Ephesians focuses on achieving the understanding of who God declares us to be, as well as how we as Christians relate to one another in the sense of one body. The second half, which is where we journey today, is focused around how we as followers of Jesus Christ should live out our daily lives as active believers that are all a part of one body. An active believer, as described in Ephesians, is a member of one unified church. Paul's instructions compel us to be compassionate, to be brave, and to become the unified church. Paul tells us to be kind and compassionate to one another. He tells us to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And he tells us that we are all many members of one body. In Emma's words, we hear remnants of Paul. The ability to speak up for those who don't have anyone listening to them, for those who can't talk about situations of injustice just yet, and for those who will never speak again. 
What we as a church can learn from this passage is clear. We, the church, are one body. We are in unity with each other, but our unity does not mean uniformity, for uniformity discourages our differences. This one body is full of different people, people who are diverse, whether that be by characteristics such as race, age, or gender. Yet despite our differences, we are still one church, and we must act in a way that encompasses treating each other as one. We have a call to be the church, to move beyond interacting with the church and into embodying the church through our words, actions, and treatment of all others. This means that even if we do not name ourselves, our actions will speak for themselves. Here at First Congregational Church, we see these truths as described by Paul. It is almost exactly written word for word. I invite you to turn to the cover of your bulletin located in your hands today and every week. As I speak out these words that we are called to live by, reflect on both what you see and what you hear. At First Congregational Church, United Church of Christ in Glen Ellen, Illinois, we rejoice in our community of faith, strengthened by diversity, including diversity of culture, economic status, age, ethnicity, race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, marital status, and physical or mental abilities. We affirm that God is glorified when we welcome all people to our spiritual community as Jesus did. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Now that is what Paul encouraged, that the church is one body and it is welcomed and it is holy to be a diverse community of people and that we should speak only in love to all people, no matter their differences. We may not all share the story of Paul or even the narrative of Emma Gonzalez, but we all have a voice. Whether that voice be heard through our words or our actions, we are one body. This one body compels us to seek justice in situations of corruption, to embrace diversity within all people, to be the church. Thanks be to God. Amen.